Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. I'm Kason. And today, uh, the the main theme for today is going to be Kingdom Hearts. We have a big um, collaboration with some other YouTube channels. It's going to be happening on Raconius's um, YouTube channel on Friday. It's going to be like a big podcast, um, essentially, that we're going to be recording with them. And um, so I wanted to sit down with Kaysen now that I'm basically finished with Kingdom Hearts 2. So I, in my playthrough of the series, I've played through 1 and 2. I reviewed Chain of Memories and um, 358 over two days. And this week I would be starting Birth by Sleep. Nice. And um, I will probably have to, well, I for sure will have to do like a Dream Drop Distance, like just someone explain or summarize the story for me well, kind of if thing. you need but... 2.8 i have i have that one here oh so i have the story so far so it's everything all in one. Oh, including 2.8 yes it's it's oh. 1.5 2.5 and 2.8 all in one package well sweet i didn't realize they had released that so that's awesome so that's what i've been uh going through it on so it's got everything in it cool two discs one disc has 1.5 2.5 the other disc has 2.8 Anyways, so I want to run through with Kaysen some of the things that uh, that uh, we might end up talking about on there. So um, there's a little animation that Raconius has uh, created here. I just paused it on essentially what seems to be the four things that he's going to be you the four topics he's going to be using to sort of structure the conversation over there. So we're going to kind of follow the same format and practice. We're going to do a run-through of our thoughts, uh, bounce our ideas off of you guys, see if we change our mind on anything or if we want to alter how we say it or whatever, and then when we show up, we'll be rock solid, be ready to go. So this is, he has uh, first experiences, overall criticisms, individual weaknesses, and individual strengths. So we're going to be uh, talking about that today. But before we get into that, a um, couple of interesting stories developed this week. Uh, first of all, there was a tweet from the official Bravely Default Twitter. It's in Japanese. Yes. Uh, Kaysen looked at it. I did. And um, anyone else who speaks Japanese on the channel uh, could probably confirm that this more or less is a... Yeah. This is pretty much an announcement that they're going to announce something Bravely Default related, probably a new game Within in 2019. Yeah, this year. And it's actually pretty easy Japanese. Um, it's still, it doesn't make a ton of sense because they don't say, we are announcing this game. They don't say that. But they say, hey, this year, 2019 is going to be great. We think you'll like the game. Um, we've been working really hard kind of thing, you know. And it's like, they wouldn't say that unless something was happening because they say this year in the tweet. So Yeah. They got nice little artwork here of the... Yeah. What looks very much like well, this these are the bravely default characters from the first game, I think. Mm. I'm pretty sure they are. Anyways, it's been forever since I played the game, but they could just be bravely default look look alike type characters. But I think these are three of the main characters from the first game. At least this guy on the left, I think I recognize mm. him. But anyways, new bravely default coming out, which is awesome. Um, I still have not played the second one because I heard the story was bad. Well, but bravely default was um. Is that the 3DS? Yes. So, um, 
did number two also come out on the 3ds yes it did so is this one going to be a 3ds game or are they that's the question that's the big question i don't (laughs) i don't know this is the the final year of 3ds i'd say (laughs) i don't know that any new big games are going to be coming out for the 3ds after this year um but it's winding down i mean i wonder where if they're gonna move over to the switch or just stick on the 3ds i would be very surprised if they released it on the 3ds um just considering like how sales are trending and like how the switch is has been trending up the fact that square enix loves the switch and wants to put more games on the switch and has said that many times in the past the fact that octopath traveler was a switch game and was incredibly successful and that right after octopath's successful launch this same twitter page was like a awesome congratulations that's so great and like maybe we could do something too kind of a tweet (laughs) so i would i would think that they would bring the next game to the switch i'd be very surprised if they brought it to the 3ds but i'm not saying it's impossible for that to be true but it it would just be puzzling to me if they decided to do it that way uh, Rob says mobile, obviously. I'm, now, that would not surprise me either. <laughs> oh, gosh. They have two ways to go at this, huh? That would not Bravely surprise default, me at all. Bravely I would not default, be surprised. Maybe, maybe. I could see it both ways, I suppose. Um. Anyways, we don't really know much. We just know that uh, they, they're looking to do something in 2019, and we'll figure it out later in the yeah. year. So if you're excited about Bravely Default, look out for that. Uh, the next story... We want to cover is that uh, Bun- Bungie has split with Activision, and they keep the Destiny uh, uh, IP. So this is a Kotaku article here. Again, I'll put the yeah. links for this stuff in the description of the video on YouTube. Developer Bungie and publisher Activision are splitting up an industry-shaking divorce that will see the shared world uh, shooter series Destiny enter fully into Bungie's control. This development comes after years of tension between the two companies, tension that has existed since before the first Destiny even shipped. Bungie, Bungie this... doesn't like working with anyone. <laughs> didn't, well, they, mean, didn't Microsoft used to own Bungie? They, uh, yeah, they were partnered with Microsoft they for left. Halo back in the day. And I think that they... And now Microsoft makes the Halo well, games. Well, I think the, the thing was is that Bungie wanted to work on something big that wasn't Halo, mostly. And... Uh, Microsoft was like, no, I mean, Halo's like our biggest freaking IP. Like, right. You've got it. You've got to work on Halo. I, I mean, I don't know the total specifics of it, but that's what I would surmise was the problem and why they wanted to kind of branch out and do something else. But, uh, you know, partnering with Activision is definitely not a step in the right direction if that's what you were looking for, was more freedom to do what you wanted to do. Again, don't know for sure. I don't know the whole story. I'm just saying, if that's the case, that's what it was. Anyways, says um, uh, Bungie, the studio that created and has led development on the franchise, told employees during a team meeting this afternoon, framing it as fantastic news for the studio that has long grown sick of dealing with its publisher. Employees cheered and popped champagne, according to one person who was there. We've enjoyed a successful eight-year run and would like to thank Activision for their partnership on Destiny. They have to say that right. Uh, Looking ahead, we're excited to announce plans for Activision to transfer publishing rights for Destiny to Bungie. With our remarkable Destiny community, we are ready to publish on our own, while Activision will increase their focus on owned IP projects. 
anyways, it goes on, but um, that's the gist of it. Now, I think Bungie has been successful enough to have escaped a bad partnership with a huge publisher like this without going under like many, many others have unfortunately had to experience those that team up with EA, Activision. Oh my gosh. We've seen a lot of companies go under after they take on big partnerships like this. Bungie has now survived both Microsoft and Activision. I now what I wonder is maybe it goes on to say in the article actually if they plan on self-publishing or if they're going to make another uh partnership with a different publisher. Uh we even with our remarkable Destiny community we're ready to publish on our own. Okay, so they said it right there. We're ready to publish on our own while Activision will increase their focus on owned IP projects. So, yeah, they're going to publish they're going to become a publisher themselves well, you know after making two successful games after the other yeah it's, it's about time that they kind of step up and become one of the big companies now so well that'll give them full them. control and i know that like a lot of people that have been upset with destiny uh and disappointed with either game or both games or whatever yeah but it still did well it still I'm made sh- a i'm sure that a lot of of the decisions were compromised, especially if Bungie's this upset with Activision. I know, but well, a lot of it might them. be Activision's fault. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see maybe what they can do without them. But you were saying that you had seen that Activision uh, in general stock has been plummeting recently, right? Like the company's yeah, got a Yeah, went down like right 15% now. on Friday after they announced Bungie was leaving. And it's like, but they've been going down all year. It's been really, it's been a rough ride for Blizzard and Activision. Hmm. Well, I don't think anyone is going to be too upset. No, <laughs> you know whose that. stock is going up is EA. Come on, dude. Oh, man. Come on, guys. I prefer Blizzard to EA, but whatever. <laughs> Get out of here. I know. Anyways, um, <clears throat> you know, I guess that's a win. That's a win for people who want creative control and self-publishing yeah. and stuff so so cool. so we'll see what happens with the next game that they make because they're bringing destiny with them right so they're going to make the next destiny game on their own and because sometimes you think that the game will be better without the publishers and producers and you know the funders yeah. the investors and it turns out it's actually harder than it looks so good luck to them but we'll see we'll see if they can actually do it see if they can pull it off best of luck to you bungee good luck. Good luck, Bungie. You make enough money, buy Halo back. People That'd be are cool saying too. in the comments, though, that they're in talks with Microsoft again about forming another oh. partnership. Wait, really? Yeah, it's like um, oh. into the out of the frying pan into the fire, or like you know, you, out of you, the you, fire you into the frying pan into the and go fire. back to your other abusive <laughs> relationship. It's like, come on, right? Out of the frying pan into the fryer, back in the frying pan, back in the frying. <laughs> It was actually the frying pan was actually pretty good compared to the fire. It turns out, I liked it better in the frying pan, personally. Yeah, me too. Um, you, you die slower that way. So that I mean, that's not. I mean, I didn't read the whole article. Maybe it said it somewhere in there, but it seemed like they were wanting to move on their own, according to that article. Maybe that article's mistaken. I don't know. So yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. Stockholm syndrome is what. Yeah, there you go. By the way, people in the chat are talking about Martin. Who? What, what's this? Martin? Don't just ignore that, please. Okay. <laughs> it's a freaking, it's a freaking inside joke for my Kingdom Hearts streams. It's not dying, even though I tried literally to kill Martin on the stream, and people are still talking about Martin. 
Okay. So just just ignore anything about Martin I and just you. I got block you. it. Sorry out. guys, I haven't been able to follow <laughs> my streams lately. What with all the stuff. Oh, by the way, now that we're recording and all this stuff, I just want to say one more time, thanks to everybody who um offered me their condolences for my daughter's hospital stay. She's doing better. She's doing very well. She's happy. She's laughing. She's jumping, doing all the fun stuff again, like she hadn't done for a week or two. Um, and thanks for all the thoughts and prayers and everything. So I appreciate it. Means okay. a lot. Yeah. Uh, thanks everybody for, for, you know, taking time to do that. We talked about that uh, on last week's podcast. I hadn't followed up to see how many people had reached out. So I'm glad to hear the people. Did. Yeah, there was a fair number. I really appreciated it. Okay, let's move into Kingdom Hearts here. I can't um, wait. So, I have played through Kingdom Hearts 1. Uh, then I did, um, like, a story summary on YouTube that a lot of people were saying wasn't that great, but I think I came out of it basically understanding it completely. Because okay. I had people there in the chat who were, like, explaining the things I found to be confusing or whatever. Gotcha. Then we moved to 358 over 2, which was on... The, the the disc it, like all the cinematics were on there, so <clears throat> watched oh, yeah. all those. So did you actually get to play uh, three fifty eight over two days, or did you just watch? No, the, I just the... just watched the cinematics on the. That's fair enough. You missed a couple things, but not like you miss all the reports. The um, the they actually reports. include them. In, they do in this in it's like an extra, so you can go into the extras and you can uh, read them all. Go. They have them unlocked, and you can read them. Okay, so, so you'd have to do it on your own. Okay, I didn't cool. do that, but they are there, and I can review them if I need to. There's a, there's a couple reports that are interesting, especially there's one. Well, I mentioned it in my Kingdom Hearts video I just did, but there's one where I think Zigbar is talking about Kingdom Hearts having a mind of its own that's rejecting Xehanort, and that that's a pretty important one. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah. Um. Okay. So yeah. So then I watched that, and then uh, I I am almost finished with Kingdom Hearts two. I think that like it's basically one more stream. I'm in like the last part of it. So okay, I cool. just fought. Uh, spoilers, I guess, for anyone who has not played Kingdom Hearts two and doesn't spoilers. want spoilers. I fought the added Roxas fight that's in the this yeah. version of it. So I finished that, and now it's like basically like the end of the game. Just go beat the last boss. I think is what's cool, up. Cool. Yeah. Well, if you did that Roxas fight, then yeah, you're you're basically at the end now. Um. And so yeah. So that's I've basically finished Kingdom Hearts two. I think I have got more or less final thoughts on the series because I I can't imagine that I'm going to like Birth by Sleep any better this time than I did the first time. Right. And uh, Dream Drop Distance from what everyone in the chat is telling me is just it takes the story in really dumb places according to them. And these are huge Kingdom Hearts fans. Um, So I think I'm pretty much ready to do this, uh, but I, I, I still have an extra week left of like playing and talking about it, so we'll see if things change. And of course, if any of you watching this, we say this all the time, and so I just want to repeat, like what we're saying here is more discussion format, so we look forward to hearing your rebuttals to things we say in the comments on YouTube. I don't always respond to comments on YouTube because at this point, it takes a lot of time to try and like reach back to everybody, but I do read most of them, especially on the archive channel. Um, Especially on podcasts the day after it goes up. Like that's mostly when I'm going to be able to see your comments. So if you comment, I'll probably see it. If I don't respond, don't worry about it. 
I still probably read it and will consider what you said. Um, that being said, I have been having a conversation with Mimic and a couple of other people over the the archive uploads of the Kingdom Hearts streams and have sort of like formed some different uh, opinions on it according to their feedback too. So anyways, this is discussion. There's not final opinions. It's just we're talking about it. So feel free to share your, your opinions with us as well. According to this animation he created, which is great, I can't wait to see that in final form. This is Raconius' channel where this uh, discussion is going to happen, by the way, this discourse. Uh, it looks like there's going to be kind of four different topics. First experiences is the first one. So what was your first experience with Kingdom Hearts, the series, but also, I guess, with the individual games, I, I would think? Um, yeah, yeah. So you didn't My play it till. I came later, later, right? Yeah, like 2013. First time I played uh, Kingdom Hearts. Maybe even later than that. Maybe it was like 2014. But yeah, it was like around around there. And I didn't like them at first. <laughs> I didn't like one at first only because of the controls. Like, I don't know. I played it on the PS2, the original version on the PS2. And there were the camera controls were the RL button, the yep. CC did weird things you had to let go of um oh in order to use the arrows you have to stop moving you have to let go with your left thumb to touch the arrows to do your quick like heal or whatever mm. and sometimes i didn't want to stop running so i'd have to like use my one hand and then push it and still hold it <laughs> so that i can avoid being attacked while i'm trying to do whatever magic i'm doing anyways yeah. i had issues with the controls right but i remember afterwards like as the game continually progressed it was fun finding out like what world you were going into next and what mm. Disneyland and all that kind of stuff. And, and by the end of the story, it really did, you know, mean something. It really did impact my, my emotions in a way that I didn't expect. Cause it just looked like such a, it didn't look like a game I would normally enjoy playing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by the end of it, I, I did enjoy playing it. And I like, not just, I enjoyed playing it, but I enjoyed like you know the Sora and Riku and the relationships that they had and there's some there's some really well um written characters like normally a character like Sora should be um cuz he's like super good all the time right he's got no inner conflicts really he just he's a, he's a pretty flat character but as an extension of the player i think he actually is like a really good character. I think he's a really, he's somebody who I like was really interested in. And, um, you know, the actual roundness of characters came from people like Riku or, um, well, I guess just Riku. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, anyways, my overall experience was really good and I actually really enjoyed it. I love just like running around the levels and the gameplay. I think the gameplay is, is really good. Yeah. So that's my first impression. Um, so I played it when it came out at yeah, a buddy's time. house because yeah. um, he had a PS2. I did not. I got a PS2 right in the same year that Kingdom Hearts 2 and um, Shadow of the Colossus came out because at the time, though, those were the two PlayStation games I really wanted to play that year. And so I got a PlayStation 2 at least partially because of Kingdom Hearts 2, right? So I at least liked it enough at the time to be like, yeah, I want to buy a PS2 so I can play this game, right? Yeah. Um, so the first one, like I think most people, I was confused by the premise 
it, like not not the, not the premise as, as in like how it's delivered in the story, but like just as some of you try to tell someone it's Final Fantasy and like Disney combined. It's like what? That didn't make any sense at all. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> it, does, it didn't make sense at all. I was like, that's really weird. Um, yeah. But uh, the buddy I have who had the game was talking about how cool it was and, you know, showed it off and stuff like that. And So, you know, I, I played it with him, and uh, I, I do remember distinctly um, helping him fight the Riku Ansem boss fight toward the end of the game because he was stuck on that part. And... Uh, I think he was playing on Proud, which is like the hardest difficulty, and so we were kind of like trying to figure out how to beat that, and we ended up beating it. And I remember having a, a really positive experience with the game just from that fight. Like that fight was so cool that I was like, "Man, like this is a, this is a really cool game." So, um, I didn't even hear about Chain of Memories. Didn't like prepare myself oh, yeah. for Kingdom Hearts Two at all by playing that, <laughs> and right. just bought Kingdom Hearts Two and played it on my new PlayStation Two. And um, was just utterly and completely lost and had no idea what was going on and kind of just tuned out pretty early on and was like, whatever, I guess I'll just, like, fight the enemies and beat the bosses and the game's fairly linear. There's not a whole lot of exploration. It's kind of just, like, run forward and fight the boss, you know. And uh, I liked the combat, I remember. But after that... uh, I don't know. It was kind of just one of those things where it was a hit or miss. It was like, I loved 358. I did not like Birth by Sleep. And then I didn't like Dream Drop Distance, so I quit forever. <laughs> I, I thought it was forever, but I, I came back to it this month. No. Yeah. So that kind of wraps up my first experiences. It's like a lukewarm. It's like a, I don't hate it, don't love it kind of a thing. Love certain aspects of it a lot. Others I did not. But, um, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Sometimes you can say like I I like the game, but I wish it didn't go on for so long. Yeah. <laughs> like I think the best games, the top of my list would be things like um, you know, Kingdom Hearts 1, 358, and possibly Chain of Memories, just because of the story. Um, not so much the gameplay. I hated the battle system in Chain of Memories. Um, but I did like the whole idea, the whole memory thing, the way it kind of played and messed with you and the character nominee I, f- I found super interesting and the way all of the organization 13 people, I didn't understand freaking anything about them until you played the other games. You have no idea what's going on there, Yeah. but the way it connects with 358 over two days and the way those characters have their own kind of conflicts and they're playing their own political game, which I, you know, after you understand that, then you kind of get what's going on. Um, it's good, right? Those would be probably my top three. And then um, some of the other games that came after it are games where you can't succinctly, simply explain what the story is. Mm-hmm. You, know, you play the first Kingdom Hearts or even 358 over two days or Chain of Memories, and you can explain the story fairly easily. It, it's not yeah. like the hardest thing in the world. Um, but when I say, like, what is Kingdom Hearts now? I, I actually have a really hard time explaining it now <laughs> because i and part of it's me not understanding it myself enough but another part of it is that it's just not as resonant of a story anymore as it was it doesn't mm. like you know synchronize my brain harmoniously with like it what it is you know and i just can't, <laughs> I can't wrap my head around it anymore so i can't really explain it to people like i still like it it's still fun but 
do I know where it's going? Do I know? I don't know any of that stuff. Yeah. I thought, I, f- I think I figured out what Kingdom Hearts is finally. I made a video about that. <laughs> <laughs> like what the actual place is. Right? Yeah, the place, Kingdom Hearts. But as far as the games go, it's like, I can't explain it anymore. I just, you have to play them now to get it. And even then, you know, good luck. Good luck. I I took a stab at it uh, on one of my streams, trying to summarize the summary <laughs> of chain, <laughs> chain of Memories. I think I got it right, but... yeah. Um, Yes, yeah, this, this is fine for Chain of Memories, actually. I mean, you miss all the battles, but that's not that big a deal. The video is actually pretty pretty compelling, I think. Yeah. Uh, so let's uh, this segues pretty well into criticisms because we're talking about story primarily and how yeah. it sort of has lost you over time. So, yeah. whew, like, I had a long back-and-forth discussion with Mimic over the last couple of weeks. Um, a couple of the people ch- chimed in. I've I've listened to... Uh, you know, what people have been explaining. We've had like CapDoc and like Dustin6595 and Ezod and uh, Riker's Beard and Chocolate Rob to some extent. But these guys have been there like every day in the chat sort of like trying to explain stuff to me, right, as I'm going through it. And that, I think that that has changed my experience enormously from if I had just been sitting there playing it by myself, like Mm. I cannot say that I would have like any real understanding of what the freak is going on. Had I not had people there who were big fans who could like fill in the details that are not explained in the course of the game's dialogue. And so, you know, I think even with that, which should help me, understand it better, appreciate it more, like have an easier time swallowing everything. Uh, Even still, like I really struggle to feel any connection with the, the characters in the story. And, and, and that's not true across the board Mm. because I still like three fifty eight over twos underlying sentiments the most. Like you, you talked about the fact that Sora is not like a very round character, right? right? Like there's there's not really like a lot of depth there. Right. And and to me and to what a lot of people have said in the chats and stuff, you know, the first time they played Kingdom Hearts 2, they're like I just want to be Sora again. Why can't I stop being this Roxas guy and just get back to being Sora? That's what I want. Well, that's now... what I was like. <laughs> I didn't know why I was Roxas. I was like who is Roxas? What is this? Right. But but once you have the three fifty eight over two context, yeah. Roxas yeah, is by far the more interesting character. Roxas is way more interesting than Sora is. But I has... gotta I gotta stop you there because Sora <laughs> is I of of any flat character I've ever seen in any story, Sora is the one I identify with the most, and I don't know hmm. why. I don't really I don't quite understand it. But Roxas, like, Roxas, nothing against Roxas, man. He's cool. But Sora, I don't even get what it is. It's just he is he is the kind of person that you would want to be were you his age, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he, he is who you wish you were when you were younger and naive. But, you know, I don't know. That's maybe the best way I can explain it. But I do yeah. identify with Sora, like 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 heavily. 
He's mm. I see him and I'm just like, man, Sora. Good Sora old Sora, piece. dude. I love <laughs> Sora. I can't get enough Sora. And it, it's not like Luke Skywalker or, you know, it, I don't know. I just I love Sora. I can't can't explain it. We've been through a lot together, me and him. <laughs> um well, I mean, I, I definitely uh feel you there. I um I feel like part of the biggest reason why I liked 358 more than say even Kingdom Hearts 1 from a story perspective mostly is because I don't know there's just it's not he's I'm, I won't say Roxas is a complex character he's not but he's just more complex than no, Sora is. in 358 over two days he's well, he because he has no he doesn't know who he is and so yeah. obviously he's not complex he's simple he's just a lost dude with no memories he's but, just He's conflicted. He's yes. heavily conflicted. That's what and that is. comes to a head in Kingdom Hearts 2, where it's like, I don't know, the conflict is 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 deep with him. Uh Gliding Falcon says, um, actively retconning the story with the mobile games isn't very helpful. And then 358 over two days came out after. Does that mean no one understood it? And Roxas, in response to that, Roxas 180 says. Uh, or no, sorry, uh, Dustin says, Gliding, Gliding Falcon is right. It does help retroactively, but it's not fair to apply post-content to original work. So I guess they're just talking about like the order in which the story is revealed, right? Yeah, because if you play like, this game, you understand it better, but that didn't come out till later. I, I do understand that. That is kind of frustrating. Uh, well, and that's that's kind of the reason why I decided to do this in the first place, this like playthrough that I'm doing on Twitch, because... My original experience, talking about first experiences, was that I played Kingdom Hearts 1, and then I waited three years, and I played Kingdom Hearts 2. And I was like, what on earth is happening here? Like, obviously a humongous, important piece of the story was missing for me, because I hadn't played Chain of Memories. Um, right. But even if you had played Chain of Memories, you don't know anything about Roxas, because you haven't had 358, which came out I think three years after Kingdom Hearts 2. Yeah, it was like 2009 or something, yeah. So it's like, yeah. not only is there a lot to kind of remember and keep straight, but now you've been removed from it for three years. Yeah. And then you're trying to, like, remember all that stuff. You know, I, versus... I, I hate how essential all the spinoffs are. Yeah. I don't like how you you really do have to play all the spinoffs. Otherwise, you don't get it. I know. It's... I'd rather it be like they're little Easter eggs or there's little things, but... It's not a spin-off if it's essential. It's a main game. Why they should have just kept calling it Kingdom Hearts 1, 2, 3 and just gone with it. But yeah. instead, they stopped doing that and anyways, those aren't real spin-offs cuz you have to. You like you well, don't get the game unless you play them. Especially when <clears throat> they're on different platforms. So it's like the main series yeah, is pretty oh much Josh Square Enix. PlayStation 2, right? But you have you have to have a DS for this, and you have yeah. to have a Game Boy Advance for well, this. Yeah, and you have to have a PSP for this. Yeah, it's like you have to have like a ton of different gaming machines. Yeah, to and then a 3DS. Understand what's going uh, on, and then a PS4. It's crazy. Yeah. Anyways, um, so okay, I, I want to premise this next part by saying that um, my conversation with Mimic started over, like I think the last episode of my Kingdom Hearts one playthrough mm. where i got to the end and you're kind of in that world of darkness place and there's like um, a message from ansem it's like written very poetically it, it basically is like a poem or whatever talking right. to the heartless being like go out and freaking like take over 
that's more or less all it says, right? But it's like this poetic, pontificating language written in like uh, <laughs> biblical stanza and like just like right. really um, ambiguous, fuzzy language, right. not like directly stating anything. And I was getting so frustrated with that. And I was kind of just frustrated because, and, and this is another part that I'm going to, my brain's all over the place and I apologize mm-hmm. for that, but I was frustrated and I usually am frustrated at the end of RPGs with combat. I'm tired of fighting. I just want it to be over so that I can wrap it up and move on to the next thing. That almost always happens even for games that I like. Like I love Final Fantasy VII. It's one of my absolute favorite games. And at in, in my first and second playthrough, I got so sick of fighting at the end. I was just like, dude, I'm yeah. so freaking tired of this. And I'm going to get into that side of it in a minute. But I think that that, in combination with the fact that I just prefer clarity in the plot, I, I really prefer that over ambiguity in the plot. I, I love com- complexity and conflict and layers in the characters. I, I, I generally want to understand the plot more clearly though so that's a preference thing um and so the combination of those two things led me to kind of just like read a few lines of this poem and i was just like words 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 they're just using words and they repeat a lot of words i mean like i would say something like 35 percent of the words being spoken at the end of kingdom hearts were darkness light heart and they use those three words like 30 percent of the time in their sentences it's just like the darkness and the light and the heart and heartless light darkness and heart light dark darkness and light it's just like frick there are other words man use them to describe (laughs) what you're talking about right so i was having kind of a an outburst of frustration at that and uh You know, so I think that my mind just wasn't in a place where I wanted to really, like, think more about what was being said there. Because I I went back, because we were having this conversation, Mimic and I, over the course of the last couple weeks, I went back and read what that said. Now, this, of course, came after having reviewed Chain of Memories, after having done the 350 over two days, and after playing through most of Kingdom Hearts 2. So I've had tons more context since then. Mm-hmm. And I came back and I read that and I was like, oh yeah, he's talking about the Heartless and he wants him to go eat up the worlds and just take over. That's like essentially all it says. I just summarized what like this freaking like tw- 20 or 30 line poem said in like one sentence, you know. But there's just something about the the delivery, the... The way they tell you things in Kingdom Hearts that just drives me nuts. Like, I just don't like it. It's so purposefully, purposefully confusing. And I say that with confidence because so many times, even Sora will be like, oh, like, I don't get it, you know? And they're just like, oh, what's going on, you know? Which is what the character is supposed to, or what the player, what you are supposed to think. Right, because Sora, I mean, uh, right. alongside characters like Link is meant to be like player avatar, like you imprint yeah, exactly. yourself on that dude, and he doesn't have tons of character attributes because you're kind of just supposed to be 
you know, expressing yourself through that character or whatever. Mm. Not quite the same way as Link, because Link doesn't even speak. But right, you know sort I mean. of talks, but somehow he says what you're thinking. That's the crazy <laughs> part, man. Um. Anyways, so that everything that I'm saying is done with the caveat that I do not like the method at uh, by which information is given to the player because so often it really isn't even that confusing. It's not that hard to understand. Let's right. take, for example, the whole Xehanort and some Xemnas thing, right? right? People are like, who's who and what's what and what's going on here? It's not that complex. Here right. we go. Ansem is the blonde-haired dude with the beard, right? The original dude. He had an apprentice named Xehanort. Xehanort became... A heartless and a nobody, right? When when a strong heart is split, that you get a nobody and a heartless out of that. Okay, the heartless guy just essentially pen took the pen name of Ansem uh, and became the enemy of King Mars One. But he's not really Ansem; he just like took his master's name or whatever, right? But he's that's the heartless. The nobody is Zemnis, and he took over Organization Thirteen. Then. You have uh, Ansem took on the freaking mask or whatever and became Diz for some reason. I don't, I don't know why I haven't gotten there yet, I guess. It's not that complicated. Like, that's all right. it is. But when they explain that, <laughs> so many people get lost. Right. And again, this comes back to like, uh, I, I guess sort of, um, well, I think you talked about this in one of your videos, mm-hmm. that Sakaguchi told Nomura... Yes. To make the story more complicated it because complex, yeah. it won't sell as well if it's too simple, right? Right. So that's like a, a, a foundational principle on which they decided to make this game up. So right. it's all done intentionally. You can't like, you can't necessarily criticize it for um, something it isn't trying to be, right? You can't say like, oh why isn't it more simple the fact that it's more that it's not simpler or like more straightforward is a flaw because i mean that's the entire intention to begin with right yeah so i don't criticize it for that reason i just think that that's a bad idea i to I begin a, with i have a thought here <laughs> tell me what you think about this now I, I i'm inclined to agree with you obviously because some of the the writing in kingdom hearts um is just it's it's just weird right it's awkward, but the people who typically talk like that are bad guys, right? Sure. They, and, they, they exposit more information yeah. than anyone else. And I guess Mickey sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Mickey sometimes gets into it. <laughs> That's always funny in his high voice, but like in some way you're supposed to, Okay, so the people like Ansem and whoever, the bad Ansem and Xemnas and how they just kind of pontificate over and over and over. But at the end of the game, you realize that most of what they said was actually not right. It was actually wrong. And there's a weird level of like, that's who they are. They think they're smart. They think they've got it figured out, right? Sure. In some ways, it's the writers trying to sound smart in a big way it is the character hit themselves trying to be confident in what they have and what they know and for the most part by the end it is you were wrong 
your plan didn't work. You're not as smart as you think you are like sit down and shut up kind of thing. And, um, it's, it's almost in some weird way, like you're, you're, you're not supposed to think philosophically along the lines of what Ansem's saying. Cause when you look at it, it doesn't actually make sense and he's not actually saying anything, but in some ways that is kind of the point of Ansem and of the fact that he really doesn't understand these things the way that he thinks he does. And maybe that's done a little more intentionally. I, I think that, um, well, like I, I could totally accept that because mm. my, my thoughts about this over the course of the week, I mean, I got really frustrated. Uh, anyone who has been watching the, the streams for the last two, I I've completely like tuned out. I I've completely done. I, I just don't even care anymore. Like I'm so done with this freaking series. <laughs> I, it's just not, I don't like it. I just do not enjoy it. But I I have been trying to pin down like really the reason for that. And I think that like it's not even this idea of it's like artificial complexity, you know, like delivering it in a way that makes it more complex than it really is. That's frustrating to some degree, but I think there are there are lots of games that are they're not entirely clear. Like Hyper Light Drifter is a great example, right? There's no, they don't even have any dialogue. It, you really have to piece this together by paying attention. And, and, and a lot of it can be very vague in terms of story. And I love that. And, and, and I love this. I love abstract fantasy settings for sure. It's not, it's not that that I think ruins it for me. It's, I think, more scene direction, which I think is some of the worst I've ever seen in a big... It actually is game. awful. It is incredibly it's, bad. And the editing of the cutscenes is really bad. They like hold on character reactions for way too long. It's not even like just below average. It's like legit awful. It's, it's unbelievable. Some bad. of the worst cutscene direction I've ever seen in anything. Yeah. And it's and the thing that's so weird is that it progressively gets worse across Kingdom Hearts one to two. Like in in Kingdom Hearts, it's like it's getting worse consistently. And it baffles me because in Kingdom Hearts 1, at least they tried to adjust the story of the Disney worlds to sort of coincide with the overall plot arc of Kingdom Hearts, right? Right. In Atlantica, Ariel doesn't want to um, go on to land and like be, like interact with humans. She wants to go to other worlds. Like she's interested in, and her father's trying to keep it secret that there are other worlds. And that was kind of like the whole premise of like what Donald and Goofy were doing. They were going to look for Mickey, but they were trying to keep it under wraps that there are other worlds out there. Like we're not supposed to let people know about that, right? It's supposed to be a secret. And King Triton is guarding that secret within his own world from his daughter, right? So they take like the underlying idea of The Little Mermaid, which is that father and daughter at a, are at odds about how she should live or whatever. Right. But they just apply that to the story of Kingdom Hearts. At least they tried to do that. So the scenes didn't play out like shot for shot, word for word, exactly as they do in the freaking movies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, you know where I'm going with this. I do actually. (laughs) That's a recipe for disaster. You're taking some of the most beloved, some of the most (laughs) well-regarded pieces of cinema in the history 
of the of movies, yeah. Yeah. especially in animation. Yeah. And you try to create, recreate shot for shot a scene from that movie without all the context that went into that movie with really poor, really poor scene direction in terms of like. Like you're saying, awkward pauses, overacting. Oh, so awkward, dude. <laughs> one, of, one of the worst examples of this for me was Scar in Kingdom Hearts 2. Whoever oh was voicing him had... I can't tell if it was him. Because a part of me as a sound designer knows that they're chopping up the, oh. the lines and sort of like dragging them out. And like, so a lot of that could be the sound editing side of things. And I, I have a suspicion that that's it. Whoever it was that laid out the final flow of dialogue had no idea at all, like had no regard for the natural flow of conversation because it's so stunted and just like so awkwardly delivered. And when you have an actual frame of reference to one of the most well-beloved, highly executed films of all time, and, and you can look at them back and forth. Obviously, you're doing that. You're trying to create the same shot. But the, the line of dialogue doesn't come out with the same timing. Like, he, he doesn't have the dramatic pause or he pauses very awkwardly for way too long before he says yeah. the next thing. It's like the whole flow and, like, it's all off. All the people are going to do who have seen the movie, which you have to have seen to freaking understand what's happening in the scene anyways. But, I mean, they're banking on the fact that everyone's seen Lion King. Yeah, that's the whole point of Kingdom Hearts. (laughs) But it's just going to come off as, like, super, super weird. And I don't understand why they decided to do that. Like, why they decided to forego this idea of trying to change the stories of of the Disney worlds to match Kingdom Hearts. So that even when they are awkward, at least it's not comparable to one of the greatest scenes in cinema history. <laughs> exactly. And you, you see how bad it is. There's like a humongous gap between the two, yeah. which makes it even worse. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So. That's kind of funny. You know what, though? Kingdom Hearts 3. Have you seen the trailers, right? I mean. Yes. I think they have finally possibly fixed that. <laughs> They, better like director. the stuff that we're seeing from Kingdom Hearts three is almost comparable to like Toy Story or whatever you know we're seeing elsewhere. I think they finally hired some like cinema, some actual film people to make the cutscenes because they obviously didn't do that before. Yeah, I know what you mean though. It's awkward as bitch. And you know, I I mean I've I've talked about this a lot. Like execution's a big deal for me, right? So if yeah, some people have an easier time looking past cheesy dialogue a bad performance and they kind of just see like what's what's at the heart what they're trying to say what's underneath it and they appreciate the sentiment they're like i like that and i feel like a lot of people um can easily do that you know or or at least a lot of people i've talked to on the channel i don't know what what percentage wise of like the the general audience is able to do that Hmm. because i think that that stuff's distracting man it's like how it's it's hard to like feel what the 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 emotion of the character is when they they're just a total clown and it's just like they sound so weird and wrong and it's like they're not intimidating at all when they're supposed to be a villain and yeah. it's just really silly you know um, it is a lot of it is at its heart and that's the fun part about having Donald and freaking Goofy I love Donald so much there, dude right they're wonderful <laughs> and Donald's just hysterical they're both funny together. 
because yeah. Goofy says things wrong and Donald corrects him, and it's funny, right? But as they have strayed away from that, like what you're saying, all the Goofy stuff that, that still kind of happens, but the story and the way things have turned around the way that things are now in the games lately, it's like the goofiness isn't warranted anymore the way it was in Kingdom Hearts 1, right? Mm. When you were just some kid and you were somewhere you didn't know where you were and, oh no, this like goofy stuff is happening around me. But yeah. now it's like, no, this is serious. We know where we are. We're doing this and that. We're trying our best. And things are still kind of goofy and it doesn't work as well. It's kind of it's kind of awkward. Well, yeah, and in, in regards to that, I feel like t- the tone of Kingdom Hearts 1 fit like the premise because the premise didn't get so like when we move into like roxas as an idea as a concept it's like a traumatic thing it's like a it's like a trauma or not a trauma a um what's the type my brain (sighs) tragedy tragedy it's like a tragedy right (laughs) and and when you're talking about trying to make someone feel sad and and feel like deep emotional connection to a character you have to execute on a level to where you believe that character's conflict, internal conflict. <clears throat> now, a lot of people do, but this is all based on individual experience, what I've seen, what other people, you know, what I see within the Kingdom Hearts community. And what I see is a lot of memeing going on. I see a lot of people making fun of it. And yeah. that's not to say that there aren't a lot of people who love it and take it seriously and they really do legitimately feel those things. And, and Riker's Beard brought up something in the comments that I wanted to touch on regarding this. And this is something a lot of people have said to me. They say, I play Kingdom Hearts for feels, not for reels. Hmm. And that's like the underlying sentiment of what a lot of people who enjoy the series, they, they're saying that. And, and this, is, this is where I guess I have a hard time reaching across the aisle and sort of like understanding where you're coming from on this because to me in order to feel something i can't just feel something because they play some sad music and the dude's crying i have to have believed the conflict the internal conflict of the character i have to have believed that it's as serious as the character is taking it in order for me to identify with and feel it. And that is an execution See, thing. It was when with Kyrie, right? Sure. When Sora was looking for Kyrie yeah. in Kingdom Hearts 1, there was something there that hasn't been there since. Because now, I don't know, when when stuff happens now, that whole like this was my childhood best friend, and I don't know where she is now and oh maybe i'm i'm on the trail oh there she is but she's unconscious or whatever it's it's um it's different from what the conflicts are now which is all almost purely philosophical at this point sure and it's it's not tangible anymore there's not a thing that we can relate to that Sora's chasing after now it's just there are bad people and i'm a good person and let's do away with that now and i i i, I agree with you although i would still say that in the past kingdom hearts has done that well at certain parts like sure. The tragedy of Roxas, the tragedy of Namine, and the tragedy of well, not the tragedy, just the whole Sora Roxas um, or Sora Kyrie and Riku relationship from Kingdom Hearts One. Like those are what you're talking about. It's just that they don't really do those anymore. And and I want to clarify and say that I don't mean to say that it has failed like objectively across the board. I mean these these games. This is many 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 hours of scenes. And it's yeah. not to say that every single one is 
so bad that I can hardly watch it. I'm just saying that there's enough of that in there to where I just start totally losing it. So and so it, it diminishes the value of when it works because of how often it doesn't work. <laughs> and and, and it's, you just it's, kind of roll your eyes. Yeah, I It seems to be progressively becoming more consistently bad. Yeah. Because Except I... Kingdom Hearts 3, dude, I swear, this game is... It looked... <laughs> better it looks like they're addressing some of these things that that i've had a problem with as well like i will say confidently that kingdom hearts one is like an eight out of ten or maybe seven out of five if i'm feeling particularly harsh that day seven out of and five. seven out of ten. or seven 7.5 out of ten sorry oh there you um, go 7.5 um because like and we talked about this on a couple podcasts a, a podcast a couple weeks ago I think the Destiny Islands tutorial section is genius I think it's really really good yeah. and I think the premise of Kingdom Hearts the idea of its overarching story is actually pretty intriguing and pretty interesting Like, and I think that for the most part in that first game it's tone was consistent enough to where the silly moments didn't feel uh, Matt Siemens, thank you for subscribing. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. It, it was consistent enough, and the story was much less complex and much less about these sorts of um, depressing, sad sort of things, and it was much more just about a friend looking for his friends. Right, yeah. Right? And, like, the underlying theme of it is, you know, relying on your friends together, like, you're... you're you can you're stronger when you're together yeah, kind yeah. of sentiments that are not necessarily super deep or unique or anything like that to me but are certainly universal principles and are, are important to kids and these characters are kids right sure, yeah so to me like overall it delivers much much more consistently than like kingdom hearts chain of memories and beyond which tries to really like I don't know it takes on a whole different tone in my opinion and that tone asks me to take its like traumatic moments seriously but it is so consistently full of just horrible execution really cheesy dialogue overacting or underacting all the time um scenes with no music in it mm. it's just completely freaking empty like in in the in the uh, in Lion King again, Simba's like walking up the Pride Rock, and it's like the climax of the whole freaking thing, and it's dead silent. Uh, and that's not a one-time occurrence. That happens like literally all the time in Kingdom Hearts too. It's like, what the fetch are you? What's going on here? Like, I can't. It cannot be a licensing issue. You're partnered with Disney on this, and you have lots of Disney music in this freaking oh, game. Oh, totally. Yeah. Why is there no music in the scene? You know what I mean? So, anyways, I think that... I think that for me to really, like, connect with the people, I have to have better execution than this. Yeah. Like, I have to believe it. I have to believe it. And if, I'm, if at any point I'm being distracted by characters that don't feel genuine, dialogue that is really sloppily written and performances that are cheesy or inappropriate for the particular context in which they take place. 
and it just feels dumb. It's just like I start really losing it. And that became so consistent in Kingdom Hearts 2 that I just totally checked out probably about halfway through. Yeah. And, and um, that that's always been a big complaint for me with Kingdom Hearts as well. And the only thing that would make it like work, that would make it worth it, I guess, is to play those other games still is Kingdom Hearts 3. Sure. Because I really, really feel, and I haven't seen any complete cutscenes yet, but I really feel that they finally, finally took that seriously for, you know, for this new game. And, you know, if if that isn't a problem for Kingdom Hearts 3, then that's a huge thing to not have to worry about, I guess. That's a huge thing that will make the whole package more enjoyable because you won't mm-hmm. have those moments anymore that are just so, like, where you're questioning technically, like, whether the people who made the game made a big mistake or not. Because <laughs> you shouldn't be thinking that. You shouldn't no. be like, they. why did they do that? You shouldn't be like that. And yeah, I don't it's think just it inter- game. interrupts the flow so often that it's just like, man, like what what happened here? Mm. Um, I think lastly, though, uh, in terms of uh, overall criticisms, and then we'll just kind of maybe lightly touch on the individual strengths and weaknesses we feel of the sure. games. Yeah, we'll we've already covered a lot out. of this. That'll be quick. But um, is is the gameplay? Because a lot of people, again will say that, uh, you know, I play for the combat or something like that. Right. Um, the, 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 the gameplay is still really fun, even though, like, the story's kind of silly and laughable or whatever it is. Right. I, there are a lot of people who kind of feel that way. About I've, I've right. heard that often, yeah. So um, I thought about this actually quite a lot, and, and my, my complaints about Kingdom Hearts' combat system are actually really similar to my complaints about just turn-based combat even in games i really really like like i said like final fantasy 7 it's mm. it's simply the repetition of it uh yeah you do the same thing over and over and over and there's just so much of it right like i just i i, I get to the point where i'm just trying to run from battles at the end of final fantasy games and just trying to get to the final boss um and I love action RPGs. It's it's probably my favorite genre in terms of video games. Um, and Hyper Light Drifter, another game that I brought up earlier, is probably like tippy top shelf, like some of my favorite style of uh, action RPG design that there is. So I was trying to compare, like, why do I love fighting and never get sick of it in Hyper Light Drifter? But I get real tired of Kingdom Hearts combat by the end. Um, in the first game, I thought it's because it's kind of slow, and so like he, he swings his keybed really slowly, and so there's a lot of um, getting stunned. You're getting you're taking hits, and you're kind of like locked as the character sort of combos. The enemies might combo you or, or interrupt your combo, and you're mm-hmm. flying back a lot. And it's just like I feel like he swings the keyblade, and he even though you're locked on the guy, he just sort of like runs around, and he's so slow that he just misses him as he runs around. Yeah, sometimes. So I I thought that was it, but then King Marts Two is way faster. Yeah, and I like the flow of the combat better. I love the aerial com comboing that they sort of added into that yeah, i like the the, yeah. the triangle reaction commands they added in there they mm-hmm. they certainly added Two's a lot more elements to it yeah but i still am just so tired of fighting and i find myself just rolling through screens to try and get through it so i don't have to fight anymore and it's like okay what, what's going <laughs> yeah. on here 
What's going on here? Why am I doing this? You know, I almost every game that happens <clears throat> though, I get sick of fighting almost everything in almost every game. I think that the difference for me in in, in Hyper Light Drifter is that it feels like every single screen you come up to was purposefully individually designed for that particular grouping you encounter. Hmm. So you come into a room and there's a long range, uh, like gun sniper guy at the end of the hall. Right. And in that room, there are also a bunch of pillars. So, you know, this guy's going to be sniping me from the other side of the room. I have to get over there to him in order to, you know, get through this room. Uh, interspliced in between that are very, very, I think, carefully chosen enemy types that make that room its own particular challenge that teaches you about something you need to know that you then take into the next room. And then you apply it in there as they add an extra element. And it's, it's, it, it is so apparent to me that I would say 90% of the time in Hyper Light Drifter, they thought very carefully about enemy placement. And they said, this is why we're putting this here. This is the type of challenge we're creating with this enemy grouping. And this is what the player is going to learn from you know, having this particular design in this room. And, and I can just tell, like, that was so carefully done. Now, it's much easier to put that kind of careful attention into an indie-designed game that, yeah. that doesn't have, like, 30 hours of cutscenes in it and, you know, like, all these other elements you have to manage in a big AAA title like Kingdom Hearts. So I, I, I admit right up front, like, of course it's going to be more difficult to, to have that much planning in place for enemy placement in Kingdom Hearts. But I think the same is also true of most of the Soulsborne games. So Demon Souls, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Dark Souls 3. The exception for me is, is Dark Souls 2. I felt like Dark Souls 2 had really bad enemy placement that didn't understand why they're putting the enemies there. It's like, oh, here's a challenge. Here's like 15 versions of the same enemy in this hallway leading up to the boss. Hmm. It's like, that's not, even, that's not a challenge. Like, you're just... You memorize the dude's patterns and you, you use this exact same um, tactic to take down 15. It's just annoying now. It's, it's, it's an annoying thing rather than a unique challenge that makes you go, huh, how should I adjust how I play here? Um, now, a lot of people told me you need to play Kingdom Hearts 2 on critical to really appreciate its combat. Sure. And I am going to try that off screen. I'm not going to stream that. I'm going to try that on my own. Because if there's anything I've learned from this last month of streaming, it's that I am a terrible personality type for streaming. And I'm not going to do it much anymore. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not good at it. It's not for me. I get, I get really drained. I have no energy. And I'll still do Final Fantasy Friday, but I'm not going to stream gameplay every day like this. It's just not fun to watch. I go back and watch my own streams. And I'm like, holy crap, I hate myself. <laughs> like, this is not, this is not, this, this dude is uh, not fun to watch. Huh. So part of it's that too. Um, but I will try on critical mode and see what people are talking about. But what it feels to me like 
after having played these two Kingdom Hearts games, is that so often there isn't a lot of thought put into the the enemy placement, I guess, or like the the they just throw lots and lots of stuff at you, and for the most part, um, you can kind of just do the same thing over and over and over again and win, and it becomes really repetitive, and it becomes. Now, that's not again. That's not true across the board. Like there are definitely certain fights that I think are amazing. I love the Riku Ansem fight. It's mostly boss fights. The Ansem fight—that's the final boss at the end of one—was really, really good. Even though I got frustrated with the specific move, I learned it though, and and I was thinking hard and I was changing how I played. And that's how I judge whether or not something's well designed. Am, am I going into something with a preconceived notion, a a, a tactic that I feel like is going to work? And then that boss, that enemy, that that enemy grouping, whatever it is, goes, no thanks. We're gonna make you have to adjust like what you're doing. You can't just you can't just run through here smashing X and win. Sorry. You're gonna have to think a little bit harder about this than that. Mm-hmm. And that goes, okay, okay, let me sit back here and let me try something different. And you you learn the elements and the, the depth of the, the mechanics, right? Um yeah. I'd say for ninety percent of the fights in Kingdom Hearts, that's not the case. Uh maybe that's different on critical, like I said. But there are those moments where it's just like this pinnacle of like, wow, like, look at that. And this applies to post-game content, like Sephiroth uh, boss battles are yes. really good that way. Yeah, that one's a hard one. Um, in both games, too. Uh, you really have to, like, adjust how you play. You can't just play it the same way. Um, the same is true of uh, the, the Roxas battle at the, at the, near the end of Kingdom Hearts 2. Oh, I was getting yeah. frustrated, you know, and I want to say this to people who watch. I get frustrated a lot when I play games, but it's usually not because the, the, the game is the problem. Sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's because I'm drained of energy. I'm tired. I want to go do something else. I'm on stream because I committed to be on stream, not because necessarily I want to be on stream. Right. And this is why I'm not a good streamer and why I'm not going to try and like push myself to be an everyday streamer. But I'm still enjoying it, even though I'm like yelling at it, even though I'm complaining a bit. It's like boss fights like that that make me change how I play are exactly what I want. And Kingdom Hearts has those moments. But I feel like in between those really brilliant fights are a lot of just smash X a million times. Make sure you jump first so you can get the aerial combo because you do way more damage that way and it's faster. And right. win. Now I'm playing on standard. So I was playing on proud. Problem, it might not be the same thing, and that's what I'm saying. I'll play on critical. See what I think. But I think that's the reason why I didn't enjoy the combat, at least on standard. Um, right. In comparison, because I feel like there's just not tons of thought put into the level design in tandem with the enemy groupings that they choose specifically, so that you come into a new area and it's a new challenge every time. And Hyper Light Drifter does that so well it's like such a high standard for me there that that's kind of what i want to see in action rpgs is where you're constantly feeling like i can't just use the same tactic every time i've got to change how i play i've got to change how i approach things Mm. and that stays engaging all the way through so that you're not feeling like i'm bored or i'm so tired of this it's like every fight's engaging and anyways i'll update you guys after i've played on critical what my opinions are on that, but I, I don't feel like proud on the first game would have been any better. Like it just would have been enemies have more HP and they do more damage to you. And that right. just makes it even worse. <laughs> Cause it's just you know, <laughs> surrounded it by all the same enemies over and over. So I don't yeah. think my opinion would change on one. 
But on two, I think Dustin here is saying Dustin says standard enemies aren't that much different on critical, but bosses are a whole new experience. So, yeah, the bosses are usually good. There's some bad ones too, some really annoying ones. I think it's usually the gimmick boss fights like Jafar in uh, Kingdom Hearts 2, where you're fighting on the carpet. Oh, that part. Yeah, that was. Yeah. But um, the uh, when you're fighting the big um, genie Jafar. I like the way that looks. <laughs> it does. It does look sweet. You're in that huge room with the. It's like, kind of. It's pit. kind of more about that. I think it's more yeah. about like the <laughs> the scale of it, trying to sell this big scale. Yeah. Than it is about like necessarily the mechanics, but. And so, then you know, Iago keeps taking the lamp and flying. Yeah, <laughs> I did. That's in one, and I that fight was kind of annoying because you're trying to hit Iago the whole time, right? While you're getting, know, getting yeah, pounded by pain, Jafar. That was pain. That's right. That was in one. Um. Anyways. Uh. Uh, let's go through just quickly individual weaknesses and strengths you feel of each game. Okay. Do you, you have thoughts on that? Um, I don't. I just know that we haven't mentioned music much yet other than oh, okay. negative sense. Good but idea. the music of Kingdom Hearts is some of the best music that's ever been written ever by anyone. 100% agree. 100% so, agree. That, that in and of itself, I mean, RPGs need to have good music. And Kingdom Hearts fulfills that requirement. Like, check, right? And... um. I just wanted to throw that out there. I guess uh, we've done a we've done a fair job. I guess talking about some of the pros and cons. Con- the cutscenes are awful. The direction is kind of weird sometimes. Um, I actually think the voice acting is pretty good um, considering the time period. And I believe Kingdom Hearts three is going to really, we'll see. But I think they'll take it to a new level. <laughs> I'm I, I'm banking on Kingdom Hearts three to be taking everything to a new level because that's what they've shown me in the cutscenes. They've shown mm. me. Elevated gameplay, elevated cutscenes, elevated direction, elevated graphics. Everything is like a step up now. And I'm I'm thinking it's finally going to be on par with the AAA game. Kingdom Hearts was never really meant to be a AAA game. It wasn't, right? It was just, it was kind of a, they didn't know it was going to be as successful as it ended up being, right? Yeah. And so it, it was developed by the Osaka studio, for example, not the Tokyo studio. You know, it wasn't their mm-hmm. A team working on these games. But now I think it is. It's still in Osaka, but I think they have some of their more talented people working on these games now. Sure. And it's it's going to finally come through. So that's what I got to say. Pluses. Freaking love the game. And then con, <laughs> some things about it bug me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with Kingdom Hearts 1, I love the introductory like the introduction to the premise and the tutorial is fantastic i think yeah. that um for the most part its tone is very consistent and that uh it it it, it does a good job of adjusting the kingdom hearts or the, the disney stories to match the overall story yeah um weaknesses combat's a little slow unresponsive um they fixed a lot of the problems with the trying to like the, the camera and things like that in the final yeah. mix in the remix yeah the final mix yeah but those were really bad originally. It was very yeah, frustrating. Yeah, and that's what I first played. Even though I played in 2013, I played the original game. <laughs> yeah, platforming was a mess, and which oh is why gosh, they pretty much entirely removed it in the second game, right? Yeah, good um, riddance. So, anyways, that's that. Chain of Memories. Um, I didn't play it, so I can't speak to its combat and its card game. Uh, I think that this is where the story writing, in terms of delivery, pacing of of information, tends to get more complicated than it needs to be it's 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 comprehensible it's just the because the the summary that i watched they started with riku right but in chain of memories you actually play riku after the sora um 
campaign, yeah. right? So you play through Sora first, and yeah. then they kind of have you play Riku's side of it, and you get like the other side of it. So mm -hmm. having the story delivered to me with Riku in tandem with Sora, so you're seeing it at the same time, makes a lot more sense than if it's like you think the the replica Riku is the real Riku while you're playing through it, and you don't know that information beforehand. It could be like these big revelations could get a little convoluted or feel that way. I could see. Mm. Um, but, I mean, overall, I, I don't think it's nearly like the worst in terms of Kingdom Hearts writing uh, that there is. Um, 350 over two days. Love the, the format. The format to me is the big one because it's, the, it's a daily thing. And that automatically slows down the pace of information. So you're not getting these giant info dumps yeah. at certain pinnacle moments you're getting small pieces of it over time and it's way easier to digest and understand as you go through it and i love the sentiment that's a little bit of an antithesis or like a flip side i would say to like kingdom hearts one's like core theme which is about of course you're stronger when you're together with your friends yeah. right and the, the the heroes win through their friendship but the 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 villains quote unquote here which are also the heroes, they don't have hearts, so they can't really like experience true friendship. They never feel complete. And so they want that same thing, but they don't get to have it. They have to fade back and, and become part of their original selves again or whatever. There's an element of tragedy to that that I think is very effective when you play off the fact that Sora and, and group get to have what they want and these characters don't get to have the same thing because they're not real people they're not real boys and girls right um <laughs> so i just love that concept and i love the way it's delivered gameplay would obviously be a major weakness in because it's limited by the ds yeah the ds um uh let's see king Wars 2 i've already talked enough about that people know where what i feel there uh, and then i don't know yet about birth by sleep me on because i haven't played it forever so that would be my thoughts on individual strengths and weaknesses of each game that i can talk about at this juncture okay let me know what you guys think Let's we're gonna be on. again we're gonna be on uh Reconius. i'm gonna put his channel in the description so if you guys want to see the the collaboration the kingdom arts discourse he's putting together with all these different channels where we're all going to discuss this go check out the link in the description and go subscribe to Reconius's channel so you can see that um that's we're going to be recording that this friday i think it's going to be released right before kingdom hearts 3 comes out on his channel so um which is on the 29th i think he may be releasing it somewhere in the 25th this range don't quote me on that go ask him about it on twitter i'll put his twitter in the description as well okay let's go to our community okay. stories though um our first one comes from c4d which i think is cinema 4d is what that's referring to which is uh yeah. 3D modeling program. Mm. Cinema 4D Nerd. Uh, again, link for this will be in the description. He has a channel where he takes um, popular characters and he he models them in 3D. So this one uh, here, Okabe Rintaro. Rintaro. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, I don't know what that character's from. It looks like it's an anime of some kind. So if you're an anime fan, maybe you've seen this. Anyways, he, he breaks down his process behind how he goes through and uh, models these characters, right? So he takes popular characters like this and he, and he models them. So he gets all his references 
um, and he puts them together and then he shows you uh, how to model them. Um, and he is using Cinema 4D for this. I can see the software now. So kind of like a walkthrough of how he does this. And uh, so if you're interested in <coughs> 3D animation, um, go check out C4D Nerds channel. And link will be in the description for those of you who want that. But uh, I've got it up here on screen as well. Thank you for, um, for sharing that with us this week. Appreciate you. Um, okay. Next one. Let me go ahead and actually pull up um, what he said about this on Patreon so I can read it. Actually, no, I, I copied it already. What am I doing? It's right here. It's right here, yeah. <laughs> this comes from... Um, oh, I put this one in between. We'll do this one afterwards. Okay, here. This is from Alexander. Uh, I I can't pronounce the last name. I'm sorry. He even explained De, how to pronounce De, it. Once. De Bavellery. De Bavellery. I think Kason. I think Kason was very or close last time we tried to pronounce this, and then he was like, "Oh, it's just this one little change." Anyways, he says, "Hey folks, here's a project I've been working on since last summer. I'd love to share." I've put together an animation collective. It's a group of 2D and 3D animation studios working together on the cloud. We have a little bit of a theme going on here with 2D and 3D animators this week. We're just launching now, and we're looking for clients. Although we are a collective of professional animation studios, serious inquiries only, please, our partners are located in South America, which allows us to have a very competitive price point. The main attraction, though, is our skill set. Although I have an agreement to not share our demo real publicly, any potentially interested clients can contact me directly at production at, uh, I think it's Amontica Animation. Uh, Amontica, yeah. Uh, and I'll be happy to show off what we have to offer. For more information, check out the website, which is right here, which is amonticaanimation.com. Again, this will be in the description. Uh, some really cool um, animation here in their, in their website that kind of plays at the top showing like the quality of what they're doing um it's very impressive so um yeah, yeah we got uh, anybody who is into animation this week we got some cool stuff for you to check out both uh amontic amontic animation it's not amontica sorry it's amontic animation.com yeah. and then um cinema 4d nerds channel as well so take a look at those if you're interested in that stuff all right Get some inspiration. Uh, okay, a couple questions, and then we're going to finish off. This one comes from Matthew Alder. This one's for Kason. He says, My wife and I are expecting a baby boy in April, and we'll be taking turns, taking parental leave, and so I'll be staying home with the baby later this year. I know Kason has been through a transition into fatherhood fairly recently, and I'm wondering if you have any tips for balancing your time between family work and video games as a new father. I, this is funny because I was, I, I first read this question and I was thinking, I kind of need, I need to talk to, I don't know, I need somebody else to give me tips about how to balance. That <laughs> um, one of the biggest things that you can do, and this is the thing we sucked at when she was first born. Um, we let the kids stay up like super late, <laughs> like till past midnight sometimes, <laughs> because it was like, oh, the kid will just go to bed when we go to bed. And then it'll wake up when we wake up and what's the big deal, right? And th there's some truth to that. But at the same time, if you can establish a routine, if you can get your kid to bed at 8 o'clock p.m. every day, and then they usually wake up around 8 or so the next morning, and you have those last couple hours of the evening, you have 
eight till 11 or whenever you want to go to bed. And that's your time, right? You can do whatever you want during that time. And sometimes your wife's going to say, oh, let's do something together. And it's not video games. And then sometimes she's going to say, oh, you go and have fun, do whatever you want. And that's when you play video games. And <laughs> it's um, it's not as much time as you had before, but time becomes more precious and more manageable um, when you know you have less of it and you end up making more of your time than you did back when you had more time. Um, mm. That's all I've got. That's the one thing that we've done that's actually been like, oh, good. Thank you. It's like actually helped us a lot. Nice. But nice. Good answer. We didn't do it until she was like one. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, let's put her on a schedule. Yeah. I think that's key because even if you had the kid up with you and you're trying to do something else, you're just going to be distracted the whole time. Especially my daughter now. If I'm holding a game controller, she's like, I want that. She wants, (laughs) she will, she will come up and she calls it a button. She'll be like, button. And she'll want to take it from me. And I'm like, okay. And I give it to her and she doesn't know what she's doing and she runs off with it and dumps it in water or something. And it's like, okay. Like, she hasn't done that yet, but I'm afraid she will. And yeah. so it's like, I basically can't play when she's around. I can't, I have to wait till she leaves and then I can play. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when they get into that toddler age, it's just the ability to move and grab and destroy is at a high level. Yeah. It's like and the ability to, <laughs> to comprehend what See, the thing is and its importance is as low problem. as before. Because <laughs> she knows if I just give her a dud controller that's not plugged in, she pushes buttons and nothing happens on the TV and she knows and she she wants the one I'm holding. <laughs> that one actually works. And she knows now. I used to just give her a controller and she could do whatever. But now it's like she knows that the one I have is the one that's actually making things happen. Yeah. yeah. No good, man. Um. Okay. We've got uh, our last one today. This comes from Mitch McDonough, McDonough, I think. What are your guys' thoughts on stories and games experienced from an outsider's perspective? Plenty of games try this to some extent. Relevant examples include Nino Kuni and Final Fantasy X and XII to varying degrees of success. I like the idea in theory, but it seems to be near impossible to give the player a real sense of feeling lost while also being nagging or engaging, nagging, <laughs> engaging and fun to play. Uh, these types of stories also seem to be exposition heavy by nature since the player needs to be filled in constantly. Maybe something like being dropped in a world and having to maintain the illusion that you belong. Something to give the player agency and a sense of being a true outsider. Hmm. So I would, I guess I never thought of it this way because maybe I just don't entirely agree for the games that I've played because he says I like the game I like the idea in theory but it seems to be near impossible to give the player a real sense of feeling lost while also being engaging and fun to play I guess that's the part that I would uh, maybe want some further clarification on Mitch like why you feel that way because in Final Fantasy 10 I think they did a fine job of that uh, yeah. I've I found Final Fantasy X to be very engaging on a gameplay side of things. I, it's my favorite battle system in the whole series. And I was intrigued by him not knowing what's going on and the fact that he's a fish-out-of-water type character, which is what you're talking about. And his sort of exploration to figure out what's going on was similar to mine, coming from not having any idea what's going on in this world. And, and the pace at which that information is delivered, I think, was actually pretty good. Um, you know, presentation issues aside in terms of some of the dialogue and things like that in FF10 that I have a problem with, I think that that aspect of it, this part you're talking about, was done well, and I really liked it. 
So that's an example I would point to to show how it's done well, but obviously you don't agree <laughs> entirely. So right. I'm not sure. Um, and I felt I actually felt the same way about Nino Kuni. I really liked it for that in, in the same way. So these are two examples I point to say they're great examples of how to do it right that you don't really like. So maybe we just um, aren't seeing it the same way. But I don't know what your thoughts on that, are that on that case. Uh, not much other than that. I really like it when you're controlling a character. You know, a lot of movies tend to do this. Like, um, like the movie Avatar did a pretty good job of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, also the movie The Last Samurai, which I know has some historical problems. Uh, sure. Um, but for the <clears> most <throat> part, you've got your American dude who goes to Japan and he's like, he he's at a loss and he, he experiences the Japanese culture, you know, firsthand and, you know, comes to have this great respect and admiration. And I feel, um, I really like stories that do that. And, and video games, I think that's one of the few stories that video games actually can do well, like better than movies because, um, you actually are controlling it. The extension of you being lost in the game that you're playing that you've never been at before. And by extension, the character you're controlling is also kind of confused and doesn't know what's happening. I feel like the kingdom hearts games themselves, actually that we were just talking about, they actually do a pretty good job of throwing you into these Disney worlds and of Sora being like, at first Sora is like, what's going on. And eventually Sora gets it. He's like, all right, what's the problem? Let's fix it. But for the most part at the beginning in Kingdom Hearts 1, there was that sense of awe and wonder and what's happening and where am I kind of thing. Um, And I feel like games actually tend to do that really well. So Mm. I I think one of the examples you pointed to, which is Final Fantasy 12, and a lot of people, this is the aspect of the game that does divide a lot of people. The fact that you're controlling Vaughn, you can control whoever you want. But the fact the story is mostly centered around Vaughn's perspective, but then of the other things happening that he's not really part of, he's like some street orphan kid who mm-hmm. you know was raised by the local shop owner and you know then all of a sudden he's caught up with these royalty and these big things um that per- part of that story is what a lot of people didn't really like about kingdom or um final fantasy 12 but the game itself was still really good and it did serve as a good introduction to that stuff but given that this kid didn't really know what was going on himself either and i thought i thought it was fine so yeah i guess um I kind of agree with you, Mike. This is uh, something that games tend to do well. And uh, when it isn't done well... I, I um, think I think the only time I don't think it's done well is when they just use amnesia as the excuse for why the character doesn't know what's going <laughs> yes. on. Yeah, it's so just like, oh, we need a fish out of water character. Good. Character has amnesia. I don't like yeah. that. That, to me, is yeah. lazy. But fish out of water character is transported to another world. Like you talked about Kingdom Hearts or when we were talking about before we started the stream, right? Yeah. Like Kingdom Hearts does that to a large extent. Yeah. Um, Like that is when I feel like, oh, this is, I can actually identify with the character. Yeah, because that's what you're doing when you play a video game. You are in any town, USA, wherever you live at, and you're sitting down on your TV and you are visually and mentally and audibly trans into another world via the video game right sure and when you're playing as a character who themselves is transferred transferred into another world that they don't know anything about you're both kind of on the same page you're in sync a little yes bit. So chrono trigger chrono there. trigger is the same way right because it's uh, a yes. time travel thing and all of a sudden you go yeah, yeah and you're it's and like I, what's that's, happening i th- i think it's it, it brilliantly sort of like divulges this like 
pretty expansive world to you through its different time periods, but you had no idea about it. The character had no idea about it. And so you're learning alongside the character. Exactly, and I think, yep. I think of the three examples that you gave, I would think Nino Kuni and Final Fantasy X did that really well. Yeah, they did. Uh, 12, I don't think does it horribly, but, you know, I think that there is at least a, 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 a valid criticism in that Vaughn's perspective doesn't seem to make sense when the story is really more about Ash and Bosch and the yeah, other characters there. it would have been better served. And yeah. it could seem like, oh, what's the point of this? But the, the having... I mean, some people have said the same thing about Ten. It's more about a Yuna. But... Sure, sure. And I think that's more of a criticism of the line, this is my story, that he says over and over again. Yeah, but, but, but there is still the whole connection between... T- Titus and um, the bad thing. What's it called? Um, sin. Sure. Th- there's a there's a deep connection there. That, sure, that's true. That um, even though it's Yuna's story, Titus is still a, a very much involved party, despite he doesn't even know it. But then in Final Fantasy twelve, Vaughn doesn't have that connection with anything. <laughs> That's happening in the greater story, the way Titus sure. at least has a little bit of. So maybe there's a problem there. That's that's true. So I think yeah, Final Jeff, Fantasy X, Nino Kuni does it really well. Kingdom Hearts does it well. I liked your example of um, The Last Samurai. Love that movie. Yeah, um, yeah, very good movie. Uh, Chrono Trigger. Like, these are games that I would, and movies I'd point to and say, I think they did them well. And if if you have um, any further reasons for why you, you're thinking these don't work particularly, they don't engage you as much, uh, please let me know because I thought they did a good job. Okay. Are we done? That's it, fellas. Did We're we done. Finish? Thank you for watching our podcast. Thank uh, you. Again, all the all the links uh, to the the other guys we referenced and the work that they're doing are in the description. Uh, please check out Raconius's channel. We are going to be appearing on that for our Kingdom Hearts discourse in a couple weeks. Um well, we're going to be recording that Friday, but it'll be online, I think, next week. So not a couple of weeks, next week. But anyways, uh, make sure to check that out. Subscribe to his channel if you're interested in that. Um, and uh, as always, you guys are great, and we appreciate you watching. We appreciate your support. Uh, book Club, yes, yeah. on Tuesday. Tune in to Book Club, 6 p.m. Mountain Time on Tuesday for the next part of uh, Mistborn. And until then... Oh! My review of Suikoden is very close to being done. It will be released next week at some point. I can't promise it'll be Monday, but it will very likely be Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that. It's going to be before the end of the week. So uh, look forward to that, and we will see you guys again soon. Peace out. All right.